pleasure to be here. Yeah, great. So much. Yeah, fantastic. Good uh, to see you. So this is going to be a, uh, should I say regular training? Or it is, yeah, it's our Thursday morning, sort of we call it training day, but our regular Thursday morning training session, so. And uh, people of all backgrounds? Yeah, people of all backgrounds, some traditional karate, some traditional jiu-jitsu, some full contact, some Thai, um, everything, yeah. But this is, this is essentially a sort of kicking and punching, it's a stand-up, you know, stand-up kicking and punching session, right. yeah. And uh, we spoke about this a little bit beforehand, yep. just for the, the whole audience. Uh, what's to be expected from the, the training? Yeah, it's... It it changes emphasis. Sometimes it can be really technical. Um, everybody wants to walk away, you know, being carried out in the bucket. Mm -hmm. So everybody here wants to feel like they've had a session. Mm -hmm. So it might be an hour, it might be an hour and 10 minutes, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's a hard session. And even if it's technical, it's a hard session. So uh, we might be emphasizing one time, we might just go mad and it's just all, pardon the technical martial arts expression, it's tits out mm -hmm. and it's solid for an hour of just really graft. And other times it'll get a bit technical, so the uh, distress side of it comes off. Mm -hmm. So depending on how we feel, depends on which way we go with it, really. But it's always a combination of, you know, I don't know why I'm here and I wish I wouldn't come again, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I came because I've learned this. So, so it's a, you should enjoy it. Yeah, haha. <laughs> what, what would you say is the, um, like, uh, can I say instructor? Yes. So as an instructor, what do you uh, want to make sure that uh, each class encompasses? What's your main focus? Yeah, um, it, it, when you say instructor, we, we've got to the point now, really, this is, uh, I only ever see myself as first amongst equals. Mm. You know, this this session, which I mentioned to you before, mm. uh, Brian Seabright, who's the chief instructor of the British Karate Association, he runs that, which is my original martial arts association mm. 55 years ago. We've been doing this session in one form or another for 45 years now, mm. in Manchester and all over the place, Huddersfield, in West Yorkshire and now here. Um, so I see myself as first amongst equals. So it's not really um, an instructional class, although we're obviously picking people up on things we want them to do better or different. Mm. And we've got visitors coming down all the time. So it ends up, when we've got visitors, it tends to be more instructional because we're trying to, you know, explain the things that we're doing normally. We're trying to explain the mechanics of it. And there's subtleties to what we do. There's layers to it. Um, and I think, you know, the video that we did last time on the punch, I mean, that, you know, you see the comments and people are saying, oh, we do that. No, you fucking don't. No, you do not. You absolutely do not. You know, a punch is a punch, so you look at it. And the analogy I came up before I was talking to you is like, uh, you know, you decide to write a guitar book. Mm -hmm. So you write a guitar book and the general public get and say, I don't like the sound of that. It's a fucking book. You know, you, if you want to see how it's played, listen to it. Mm. You know, if you don't think this has impact, turn up on a Thursday morning mm. and, and see what we do. Okay? You show me your impact, I'll show you mine. Show and tell. Mm. So there's layers and subtleties to what we do. It's complex, but it involves the huge the whole body dynamic which you'll experience. Okay, so from the tip of the toe to the top of the head, we've got certain dynamics, certain concepts that we apply to things. Yeah, um, yeah. so that's what Thursday morning is. Right. You know, so we've, we're coming away so, you, you know, so this is my, you know, I keep saying it's my 55th year and I'm still trying to get it right. <laughs> On a Thursday morning, I'm still trying to get things right because I know I'm not. Mm -hmm. I know I'm challenging. Sometimes I want to go faster. Mm 
Mm. So I'm taking impact out of it. Sometimes I want it to be hit harder, but I know I'm doing this. Sometimes I want to feel it's been tactical, mm. but it's not been hard enough and impacted enough. So there's a challenge all the time with every little area mm. that makes up the whole in a way, Rockass. That actually reminds me of a quick story I, uh, I feel like it would be great to share. Uh, so in Dublin, I was training with Coach John Kavanagh. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he, he trained with you right. in the past. Okay, yeah, uh, probably on the seminar that we've done. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. years and years. Yeah, okay. And, and he said, he, was, he saw the video. Yeah. And he said, oh, how did you come together? And I, I told the story, and he was just excited to share that he said, he remembers uh, that you shared the same passion yeah. uh, years and years ago when you explained the dynamics behind the movements. Yeah. It's, the passion is still the same, if not even greater. Right. Yeah. yeah. To hear yeah. No, it, it should. This is in the public domain. Mm. You know, it's not, we're not holding it to ourselves and saying nobody can have it. What is the point? You know, it's, it's in the public domain. It should be, mm. it should be more widely used, but yeah. you know, people take it. And I think it, the problem is always with this, you, you're only seeing that superficial, you're seeing the box, you're not seeing what's inside the box. So again, you know, we were talking about it, the analogy is like, you know, a World War II submarine, you know, a diesel, diesel powered submarine, it's a submarine, you know, you look at a submarine in World War II and even World War I, it doesn't look much different now. It's the same shape, it has to be, because it gets through the water. So, uh, but one's got a diesel engine and now it's got a nuclear core to it. And that's the difference. So you look at it, you say, oh, that's a submarine. I've got one of those. Like right, back in steam driven, the one you've got, this is a nuclear powered submarine. So that's the difference. So if you you, um, if you can get hold of that nuclear core, it fits everywhere. It fits in traditional karate. So we were talking about Ian, Ian Abernethy, you know, who's who's been part of this for years and years, and and he's now taken what we do, the dynamics of it, as that core, and you see it in a, in a gi, in a white suit. But you see the best of what you get in a white suit now through Ian, because that core is is the it's inside the box, the shape that you see. So you look at the shape, you say. That's karate, but it's different karate. It's got content to it, you know, and that's the problem with a lot of systems. You look at competitive karate. Um, it's great. It's fast. You know, it's sharp. But sometimes it's a modern kata as well. You know, it's it's just a box. It's a shape. You know, there's no content to it. There's no impact to it. The dynamic is speed and and precision, which is fine. It's aesthetic. But at the end of the day, for me, it has to have impact. It's got to have content to it. And that's what we're trying to get into it, Rockass. You know, so as you'll see, yes. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one more question. Uh, I I don't know. Did you look over the comments? Uh, yeah, the yeah, a few of them. I don't. Yeah, just yeah. I, I, I yeah. There's a limit for myself. Is well. yeah. they get repetitive? It's like yeah, people don't come up with new stuff. No, no, no. Uh, it's just, uh, but there's some, as I mentioned, yeah. uh, as we talked before, the people who got it, they were yeah. very enthusiastic, and some yeah. people just feels like they mm, didn't see the whole picture or no. missed parts of the information. Sure. Is there anything you specifically uh, could share at the yeah. moment to kind of clear up the picture? Yeah. Um, it's, it's difficult. Again, you know, that's back to the, you know, reading about how to play a guitar mm -hmm. and listening to a guitar. Um, you know, until you felt the impact, mm -hmm. 
uh, as my, you know, original uh, Shukakai instructor, uh, Kimura, Seguro Kimura said, when, when we were getting the double hip and all the mechanics that he had for movement and dynamism and kick shock and everything, he, he simplified, just said, feelings believing, you know. I don't, I don't, I'm not bothered if people don't believe it, don't hear it, don't see it. Could have feel it, mm. you know, feelings believing. So all of it, whatever it is that we do, mm. you know, it has to have that impact to it, which it has. Mm. But then the challenge is speed steals impact. So if I want to go fast, if I want to punch very quickly, it's white twitch muscle fiber, it's, mm. it's fast, but there's no weight to it. You know, when we get people coming down here to train with us and we get them moving on the pads, mm. you know, even good boxers, and it's tip, 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 it's sharp, it's fast, but there's no bang to it. Mm. You know, we want that, this, would one kill an elephant mm. when we're off the floor without our feet on it? One, it would kill an elephant, and two, the elephant's cousin in Kenya would fall over with the impact. We want that sort of impact to it. Mm. It's got to be explosive, you know. So that's that's what we're after. But there are challenges. So we want that impact. We want that dynamism. Mm. But then we've got speed, has to be tactical as well, mm. you know, if we're applying it somewhere. So the double hip, we've got the mechanical principles to it. Um, and then we've got the tactical application of that. And that's where people, when you, when you look at some of the comments, and I've tried to start the video by saying, this is ABC. Right. This is just the mechanics of the punch. And people say, oh, you won't make that work. Well, fuck it, I do make it work, mm. but I don't make that work because that's not tactical. That's, that's the car wheel, you know, as I said at the beginning of the thing. You know, I'm going to show you a car wheel going around at two mile an hour. <clears throat> don't anybody say, oh, that's no good. You know, I need it to go at 400. It's a fucking wheel. It'll go around at 400 miles an hour. Mm. So, you know, how do you explain something when you break it down without people saying, ah, well, you know, that will never work at that speed. Mm. No, it's a demonstration. It's like, <laughs> I don't get for but you know I could so yeah sure. but, I guess you, yeah something I noticed myself being in the public domain uh, initially when I started publishing videos especially controversial ones yeah people would come up with criticisms and yeah. initially they would they would kind of yeah get into uh, into into me yeah but after a year or two I already started seeing it just repeats itself again and yeah it's just yeah. There's no point in. <laughs> well, there's no point. I mean, you've got people who uh, will, will basically must sit there and think, uh, you know, I want to comment on that. But 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 they come from the context, the other perspective is just negative. You know, mm -hmm. they just simply want to make a comment that right. either is controversial or negative. So just, you know, wash off a ducks for mm -hmm. that one, not concerned in the slightest. Because what we do, you know, we know what works. You know. And so if you look back at the practical side of it, so if you look at the application of it, so I had the double hip, I had some of the dynamics, um, that was back in seven, um, 76, uh, sorry, 69, 69 when we changed the shooting car. So I got that in that martial arts karate competitive context um, but you can't use it so we so the dynamics that we have were giving a speed and explosion across the floor with kick shock um, but of course it was tick your on so so the impact so when I started working the doors in 70 1970 and then one door from 71 for eight years then was the application of that double hip so nobody's going to tell me that doesn't work I had eight years on one door you know using it four nights a week for six years two nights 
a week for the other blinking two years I was on that door then I had my own clubs nightclubs and, and bars and pubs I'm there again I'm running the doors I know it works nobody's going to tell me that's not going to put somebody down it's a one shot you know, that's what we always wanted out of karate, is a one-shot capability. But at the same time, that's not what martial arts is all about. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I keep saying, you've got to enjoy the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing is that big box mm -hmm. with everything in it that you do, all the things you mix together, all the thing, all the different systems and, and arts. But then it's it's the hub. It's the, you've got the spokes that go out from that. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's practical. You need it on the door. You're a police officer. It's tick your own competition. It's mm -hmm. full contact competition. It's self-defense. It's enjoyment. It's physical improvements, it's improvement of self, pride in performance. So martial arts has all these different spokes. So when you're looking at one part of it, don't criticize it from another quarter, from another spoke, saying, oh, well, that's not. No, go back to the big box. So you've got this huge box of, of things that you do, but out of it, you take the bits you need for full contact. So with what we do, huge box of it. So you look at my things I've combined over the years, boxing, traditional karate, Wing Chun, other Chinese systems, and then all the mechanics that we do. Um, so, you know, we can apply those to, so I could go back if I wanted and we could do tick your own composition or full contact, you know. None of that strange grappling stuff where people choke you and things like that, we don't do that. It's awful, yeah. And, and strain your joints and all that business, we don't do that. But, but some of the guys, they do some of the guys great jujitsu, great grappling backgrounds, you know. So, when people watch the, yeah. the ABC video, yeah, uh, one question which actually I'm curious uh, yes. about as well is you mentioned the tactical aspect, yes, and uh, uh, the setup, yes. Uh, I think we didn't necessarily talk about no, that much. no, no. So, could you say a few words about Yeah, well, again, uh, it's context, mm -hmm. so we've got. Tactical. So you've got, um, are we talking about tactical with, say, traditional uh, karate tick your on mm. points? Um, full contact, self-defense. Mm. You know, what... I think self-defense probably... Yeah, on the, on the self-defense side. So... Um, so again it comes back to context it's mm -hmm. what are you doing in that situation are you just a civilian walking down the street that all of a sudden has got in a situation mm -hmm. were you in a social situation in a bar or a club late at night and it's all kicking off with the alcohol uh, are you a police officer and therefore you have to engage you can't be somewhere else mm -hmm. you can't be like a civilian where you get to the top of that protection pyramid where it's fight or flight as a police officer and saying no, I'm not going to get involved in that mm -hmm. I'll leave them to it you have to get in there. Okay. So again, the context is important, but if you take an individual in the street, one of the problems is um, the, 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 there's depth to that answer because how have you got there in the first place? You know, how switched on were you? Did you see it coming? Is it now right in front of you? Or should you have seen that five or 10 minutes ago? So you walk into a bar, it's late at night. People are obviously had a few to drink. Um, it's the four Ds. Dress, drunk, drug demeanor. You should be assessing everybody in there, how people are dressed. Drunk, you know, people leery, are they loud, are they likely to be kicking off? If they do, who is it? Uh, drugged and demeanor. So who is loud, who's shouting? And the, the drunks bit's important, particularly if you're a doorman, because we know full well, if somebody's drunk and you say to them, you've had enough, you're going out, they'll say, yeah, 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 I know, I'm having enough. They start to walk out, swim around the fishbowl, come back and say, no, I'm not going out. And you say, you just fucking said you were. <laughs> 
but they drink. So there's no rationale. Mm. But we're teaching doormen rational uh, conflict management systems, and they're all in the training programs. They don't work. Mm -hmm. They work with sensible, rational, reasonable people because they, you're reasoning with them. Mm. People who are drunk don't. They don't. They're not rational. They won't reason. So that's an issue. People who are drugged and drunk have a high pain threshold. So all the twisting arms up the back stuff, you'll end up with an arm detached from somebody's body because he's not felt the pain as his arm's fallen off. So that's not going to work. And then you've got the proxemics, which is the distances. And one of the problems with martial arts or martial artists is they think that what they know will work in this context. Mm -hmm. And that is just martial arts in genes. It's not how you're going to deal with conflict. And one of the key issues all the time is, and this is the, the brass plate with, with flashing lights around it, is action beats reaction. Action beats, don't tell me how good you are at blocking. So over 55 years, if I throw five million blocks, it's probably, I'm underestimating it. In the street, on the door, two. If I have, if I've ever thrown a block in the street, it just doesn't happen. Okay, preemption, action beats reaction. The moment somebody is within touching distance, even an unskilled person who starts it will win it. So the first problem is people can cannot get within touching distance, and that's the fence concept. That that really the person who was the absolute master of that was Jeff Thompson, my partner in the British Combat Association. We started it. He'd worked worked out this fence, you know, he'd got this, he realized this, that anybody who gets inside your fence to your front garden, if you let them get that close, they'll win it if they start it. I know guys in Manchester, but on the third side of things, who, um, they've only got one hit. They're not martial artists, but they know full well, if they can, with subterfuge, get close to you, one hit, you're gone. You know, and they've never done martial arts in their life. They just know how to bang hard with one shot and they make it work, mm. you know. So don't think that complex martial arts is going to work against that. I, I probably mentioned it before. I did an article called Thugs and Chess. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, you can't play chess with somebody for whom drafts or checkers, as they call it in the States, is a complex mm -hmm. concept. Mm -hmm. It won't work. Mm -hmm. And we've got complex martial arts mm -hmm. against somebody who's just with subterfuge will get in and whack you. Mm -hmm. Just that's it. You know, it's checkers and chess. Chess works best against chess. Mm. Karate works best against karate. Mm. And that's where you got that big box. So there's your big martial arts box. We're down the spoke of self-defense. Do you need three techniques? Two would do it. Mm. And both of those have to be preemptive. Don't think that you're going to start. Self-defense is not about having a fight like you would, even if you're a good mm. fighter. So I'm not a bad fighter, but I'm not going to take a chance on it in the street. Because this is the uh, fastest gun in Dodge City. Mm. There's always a faster gun. Mm. There's always somebody who will be a better fighter than you are. Um, chance comes into it. So we, we end up, I think, oh, I'm a good fighter. We'll let this turn into a fight. I trip over a curb. You know, I pull my arm back and somebody grabs it because we're in a crowd. All of a sudden we're in a crowd, we're next to a wall. I can't do my favorite roundhouse kick. So the conditions we're in. So it's preemption. Action beats reaction. And once you've assessed 
that this situation is going to one conclusion, you have to interrupt that POA. That's that person's, you know, plan of action. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've got to get in first and preempt. Mm -hmm. And then what you have to know is that shot will put them down. And I know full well that 90% of martial artists, not being unkind because that's going to get, won't put people down with that one shot. It is not going to work. So you've got to have good impact. And, and even, you don't even have to be fast with it. Speed, we're getting into complex areas, but speed of movement can innovate a natural reaction in people. So even if you do it slowly, you can, you can put people down. You don't have to be fast. If you do things fast, you innovate that, that twitch response, that startle response. That's the stone coming to the window in the car. People twitch. You never move as fast as that if you try and move quickly. It's a twitch response. The moment you twitch at somebody, they'll twitch and respond. If you do something slowly and hit them, they just pretty much look at it because it's cognitive. So they actually think about what you're doing and then fall over, hopefully. Okay. So that's the principle, first of all. You cannot let somebody inside this fence. How do you stop them getting inside the fence? Where is it? Well, measure it by where your hands are. So you get people who think it's going to be a fight. They like the hands here because they're used to boxing and they pull the hands up. No, the hands should be out here. These are touching the end of your fence. So nobody can get any closer than this. Now, I can't keep doing this all the time. It's bollocks. So you've got to make your hands... You know, you talk with your hands, so they're out all the time here. But what they're doing is forming this barrier. Now, the person subconsciously is now thinking the end of your body's here, so they're reluctant to come too close anyway. Whereas if I had my hands here, you'd move in closer because the barrier is here, it's not out in front. But the moment that somebody you think is coming into this here, then unfortunately they're going to have to whack. That's it, you know. And this, you know, um, no first strike in karate, that's bollocks as well, you know. It's what, what that means is, you're not going out looking to hit people, right. but being first in a conflict, that's not the same thing at all. So, yeah. Yeah. We are after the training session. Yep. Uh, and there's a lot of things uh, that I discovered yep. that, came up, uh, that came up for me. Uh, very enjoyable. It was a great, great class. Uh, I liked right. it a lot. And uh, one of the things we discussed uh, already a little bit is when I started off. The yeah. Time, jabbing it. Yeah. It's interesting too that I actually like the jab a lot. Yeah. When I spar. Yeah. It's one of my go-to's. Yeah. But I could feel, especially when, uh, just to make sure I don't uh, yeah. miss Steve. Steve. Yeah. But when I felt Steve. Yeah. Punching and, and kicking and I then he did the exercise yeah. before me, and then I did it. It kind of dawned on you. Yeah. With big of a difference. Yeah. Was. Sure. As you mentioned, I was doing it just from my yeah. shoulder. Yeah. And. Uh, and then as, as we moved on, uh, I feel there was some improvement. There was, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, we started off with, um, so if you look at the session, just a bit warm up on the bag, that's yeah. not particularly anything going on, just, just loosen up. But then we do the pressure work. Mm -hmm. So the pressure work is just, again, it's a warm up. Mm -hmm. um, so we're just getting that, making sure every time we move, we're not getting stuck and static. We've got that spring going on from the feet. And also, although we didn't touch on it too much, but we're using the hands to steer the bottom with the counter rotation. So if we want to move the bottom part, we've got kick shock off the floor with the foot that we're going to move, but we're also counter rotating with the hands. So the hands are doing 
doing the movement for the bottom. And that's one of the key things that I wanted you to see was how if we want the bottom to work, like I said to you at the beginning, we kick with our hands, we kick with our arms, we try and we try and ice, we try and ignore the legs in terms of of the kicking. Mm which sounds strange, but the power for the kicks comes from the top of the body. So if you think about walking, and this is, you know, I never understand why this concept doesn't take hold with people. Uh, so if we walk, uh, this hand goes this way, but this leg goes back the other way. So our, our arms on the same side are going opposite to the leg. So if we think about, so I'm walking, now I want to sprint, my arms don't stay at the same pace. My arms speed up. So I couldn't sprint if I didn't have my arms going faster. So all we're doing is now changing that to this. So if I'm on this chair and I want to spin around on it, I go this way, but the chair goes that way. So I go this way and I have my feet off. I could just pull myself around. I could do this and pull myself around. So the top is working the bottom. My feet aren't pushing off the floor. My top's working it. So if you think of translating that to how we use the kick, so this works the kick. The other problem with the kick is the leg's so heavy that 80% of all the work is in fighting gravity, mm. not delivering the kick. Mm. So if you saw when we did that combination of the jab linked with the lead kick, we're hitting the floor at the same time we're hitting with the jab. So we're hitting with the lead hand, foot hits the floor at the front as we project into the jab. Newton's third law of motion now applies. We don't waste the impact with the floor. We increase the impact because the floor will push our foot back up. So that, that projects the knee up to almost facing towards the target we're gonna hit, but at the side. So that Newton's third law, equal and opposite reaction, when we don't use the muscles to bring the leg up. The leg is shot up and then the hands at the top now rotate to give you the kick. And also then, as you saw, we're using the lead hand. We're not snapping it back and then doing a kick. The hand comes to here, and as we impact, we grab a handle in the air and pull this back for the counter rotation to give us the kick. Two things happen, three things happen. Kick comes up on its own. We counter rotate to give us the finish to the kick. This hand comes across to still give us a guard. But the key thing is we're upright. So whatever happens, we're available here to deal with it. We can block, we can defend, and we're ready immediately after the, that kick to punch if we want with this hand, if that's what we're doing. Most people, you see them do a roundhouse, the first thing they back can do is lean back because they know that subconsciously their mind knows I've got this huge heavy leg to lift. Mm -hmm. So they lean back and then they kick and then the hand is a bus ride away. You might as well give them a bus ticket to get this to the target, fucking wasted. And that's where you get this schoolboy um, combination. There's one technique, gear change, there's another technique, gear change, there's your third technique. What we're trying to do is overlap those combinations and at the end of, at the end of this combination, it isn't the end. That end is the start of this one. We're trying to figure out what we've got that we can steal from that last one that will feed into the next one and give us that overlap and also keep the power and flow going. But then, because I'm sure people say, oh, it's not tactical, fuck that. We, then we apply those principles to tactical considerations, which sometimes we never get around to, like when we just did the power punch. Yeah, no, that might not be tactical. Except that, it's just a demonstration of ABC. You know.
So those principles, you know, kick shot using Newton's third law of motion, overlapping transitions, uh, keeping that flow with the double hip going. So as you saw, once we start a technique, that hip is always working before the next technique, you know. And you felt the power, you felt the impact, but now in a more practical flowing situation. So now we're adding more techniques to it. Yeah. I did ask you that. Yeah. Uh, after the session, but want to make sure that's on record as well. Uh, the training solo. Uh, yeah. Because I like, I really enjoyed what was done here. But yeah. I, I had that sense. Part of me was thinking, I wish I could train that on my own. Yeah. Part of me had the intuitive feeling that yeah. probably this is one of those things which is. It's better not to, especially yeah. feeling better not to try to. Yeah. And we said, you know, we get people who come, you know, people who've been doing many years at what they do. So they come here and they go, and it's a light bulb moment. I had that years and years ago with like the double hit, the, sh the kick shot, counter rotation, which I brought in. So a light bulb moment. But what they can't do is then go back and change things. You can't just immediately, you know, uh, turn the light off, turn it on and you've changed, you know, it's like a Superman in a telephone box. It's not going to happen. But, but I think if you get the flavor of today mm -hmm. and you can just go back and think about the difference in feeling, what you've heard, what you've seen, what you felt, mm -hmm. then you can start to get the flavor of it. Yeah. And then you can still start to do that double hip quite slowly. I just do it still now and I do it with a double hip and I just do it to touch the wall. So I'll make sure that I'm taking the punch out of it. Because mm -hmm. what, what people end up doing is uh, they'll start the double hip, then muscle memory will kick in. They'll end up just punching the way they've always punched, you know. Um, and again, fist shape with things. Uh, as, you, as you see, we, we tend to wear thin bag gloves. So we can always tell what part of the knuckle is hitting. Whereas the people who train with boxing gloves all the time are deceived into believing that you could actually hook like this in the street. So, you know, you watch people hook and it's, and it's here on the glove, but take the glove off. Look at the knuckles that are hitting. It's just not gonna work. So we're changing that to this knuckle. So we can hook at the same distance we could strike with it. Okay, so, uh, so we're always conscious of what, and fish shape as well. One of the problems with people who have come from a karate background who punch like this, when they try and box it in, is this. Mm. So you'll see the elbow. So when they punch, it's this. So, so because of, as human beings, our eyes are quite close together, mm. we've got poor range finding. Mm. So if I took a stone and just threw it at you, you wouldn't tell the distance. Mm. You've no depth perception. Mm. As humans, we don't have. Um, but what you have is good. You'll pick up peripheral movement. Mm. So you'll see that. You won't see this coming to you, but you'll see that. So the moment you start doing this, people go, oh, I'll see that coming. Okay. So again, we're conscious of the fact we tend to punch at 45 degrees. So the old Shukakai way of punching was this way, which means you can get these two nuttles on, whereas if you change the height and you did this, you can't, those nuttles will hit. So if I had to punch you because of the height difference, I'd actually, with a typical karate punch, I'd be hitting with these nuttles, it'll just break. But if I turn it this way, that now gives me that solid. So we don't quite punch like this, but we do tend to punch at 45 degrees. So we keep it straight, we get that piston effect, and we're still getting the knuckles on that we want to get on it. So small, those are small things, but you know, all part and parcel of getting the, the picture right. Yeah. Uh, hopefully this is a quick one since yeah. a couple more questions that I Yeah, have, no, no, sure. Uh, the knuckles. Yeah. Uh, would you suggest, 
when thinking about the subsequent situation? Yeah. Would you suggest conditioning them? No, no, it's not necessary. No, because you should only. So if you go back to, um, you know, that that scenario where we were talking before about distance and. Um, so all the time I was working the door, any face strike for me is a slap. Mm. I never punch the face. Mm. Okay, it's always going to be open hand. It's a power slap. It's a power slap. Um, when I worked as an expert witness, I can't remember that I mentioned this on the the first videotape because mm. I also act as an expert witness in cases of uh, self-defense, excessive use of force, mention that. Yeah, no, it, well, it was the one where I, was, I, I, was, I had some photographs. It was a prosecution for a police officer who'd used excessive force. Sorry, it was a doorman, excessive force. And it was the lad. So the first photograph had a split. And you thought, what's this about? Second photograph, he opened the mouth, the teeth have gone. Mm -hmm. so, um, so he's hit him in the face. It's probably not gained the control he wanted. Mm -hmm. He's probably not hit it that hard, but the guy's teeth have gone. On. So what's the point? You're either hitting armor plate or you're hitting damageable tissue. The power slap leaves a red mark, mm. puts them unconscious if you want that. And so for me, it was always straight punching. Mm. So it was straight piston to the solar plexus, slaps, uh, you know, maybe a strike to the leg as well, which, which mm. will, I think you had one last time, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, you had one last time. Okay, so. so that'll take the leg out of it. Right. And then other clothes, so trapping as well. So you might slap an arm down, moving into a, a, a grip, uh, into a, a you know a strangle, not a choke. Uh, so those, so no punching to the face. So you don't in self-defense role, you don't need to harden anything. You know it's not necessary. Yeah. So straight punches to the body. And the problem with punching to the to the body is most people who do punch really don't get that body weight. You have to get body weight into a body. You can't just get like you were doing with a jab. You know, you, you won't put somebody down to the body. So you've got to get that, be able to get that body weight. See, we give too much importance to these. Mm -hmm. These are just delivery systems. Mm -hmm. He asked like the postman, you know, I'm not bothered about the postman. I'm bothered about what he's delivers to me, you know, I want that package from Amazon, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a system, the delivery system, mm -hmm. that's just a tube, you know, don't give this too much importance, it's what comes down this, it's how you get your body weight to flow down this delivery system, down this delivery system, whatever it is, okay, mm -hmm. it's not this in itself, that's just shape, okay, so, yeah. Awesome. Uh... A quote you mentioned a few times, which was a great quote. Yeah. I think it's feeling is believing. Yeah. And uh, we spoke that, we discussed that the best way to learn this is yeah. or to see what it is, is to come down and experience it. Yeah. So from as far as I understand, this is, these sessions are completely open to everyone. Yeah. We, we're careful with it because it's, it's one of the things, um, this is my training session and this is everybody else's training session, but they've, they understand that they've all learned and come through, you know. Um, so they're very happy when we get people who come down and visit. And typically, it's open to the people who are in the combat associations, BCA, BCKW. We get people coming from abroad. We get people coming from Germany, from all over, uh, to train here, you know, on the, the occasions when they can make it to the UK. Um, so we can't accommodate 20 people. It's not a Right. It's not an instructional class, mm -hmm. but we're very happy to have people come down and, and see what they want, you know. So if someone is interested to, to experience it and try it out, should they yeah. contact you? Yeah, sure. Or? Yeah, just through the BCA, through the combat group, you know, websites there and yeah. Um, but it's not, 
it, it's a high level thing. So, right. so anybody who comes down has to have a good level of whatever they're doing. Right. It's not somebody who's just starting off in martial arts, you know. One, there is no time to teach somebody that, you know. Right. Need somebody who's been doing what we're doing. And essentially, it's a pre predominantly punching and kicking, mm -hmm. although we might do some other stuff with it as well, but it's predominantly what you saw. Mm -hmm. And what you saw today is only one small part of, of what it could be. Mm -hmm. You know, as you, as you saw, we, we had some quite high intense things mm -hmm. where the technique drops off a bit. Then we've got some quite technique things, but still really dynamic. And as I said to you, you know, you'll see Steve who's fit um, will do one line mm. and fall over, you know, because there's that much gone into, right. you know. Although the 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 sort of strange part about that, how relaxed everything has to be mm. to get the most in it. Mm. So, that you know, in a way, you're as relaxed as you're ever going to be, but you fall over. You know, how does that work? You know, because there's no tension. No, it's all relaxation to allow that whole dynamic to feed through into the technique. Mm. You know. Um, and those things are challenges, like we said, speed challenges, tactics challenge, impact challenges, speed, and you know, so how do we square all these? That's the every Thursday is the challenge, and Sunday and whenever, yeah. So I don't know if you like that word, but the first thing that comes to my mind is cardio or that yeah, endurance. Sure. Um, when I was investigating uh, how self-defense works, as yeah. far as I dug into it. Uh, I feel there's one of the misunderstandings in people is how endurance plays into it. Yeah. And uh, and uh, from what I understand, it's an important aspect of self-defense yeah. situation. Uh, and it almost seems like this encompasses yeah. that. that yeah. No, I would say just the opposite. Mm. Yeah, no, I'd say just the opposite. Mm. And I think that's the mistake about self-defense um, where we're confusing self-defense and fighting skills right. and we're mm. confusing self-defense and what we need for fighting mm. and if we end up in a fight we've done something wrong on the self-defense side mm -hmm. so for me um th this is this is a pyramid so it's actually self-protection mm -hmm. and self-protection is a combination of what you would say we know a self-defense which is the physical side of it mm -hmm. and then also the personal security skills mm -hmm. okay yeah no problems yeah so you've got so self-protection Self-protection, self-defense, physical side of it, and then personal security issues. Uh, and if you think about it, you know, if we can't, if we can't teach self-protection principles, theories, concepts, and some simple techniques to people who aren't fit, who can't fight, what are we doing? Because mm -hmm. we're no, not teaching fighting skills. That's the problem that martial artists make. They think, oh, I can scrap. What the fuck are you going on about? That's not self-defense. You know, if it gets to that, you've cocked the whole thing up before that. So if you look at the, um, if you look at the protection pyramid that I've developed over, over many, many years, going back 40 odd years ago, that it's, it's based on three things. So if you start at the top, it's based on fight or flight. Mm. So, you know, here's a situation, I'm going to get out of it. Here's a situation I can't get out of it, mm. but I'm, I can see it and I'm going to be prepared to deal with it. You know, I'm going to go into it and deal with whatever comes out of it. 
But to be able to make that decision to get away or to engage, you have to have evaluated what's been going on around you. But to evaluate something, you have to have taken in information about it. So the bottom of the pyramid is awareness. And that's awareness of the environment, the people in it, and yourself. Because you have to be permanently aware to be taking that information in. And if you're taking the information in, it then allows you to evaluate what's going on in sufficient time to make a decision to get out of it, or if you realize you can't, be prepared to deal with it, not be taken by surprise. Because if those two, those bits of the pyramid are missing and you're taken by surprise, it's not fight or flight, it's freeze. So you're taken by surprise, shock and surprise, physiological changes, you know, that, that huge stress, that huge stress plum, uh, plunger hits the endocrine system and you're pretty much screwed. And that's what people rely on, is taking you by surprise. So even the best martial artists, if they don't see it coming and all of a sudden it erupts around them, Forget it, it's not going to work for you, you'll be taken out. So the protection pyramid, permanently aware, able to evaluate, able then to be prepared for fight or flight, not get frozen into place. Okay. So, and at that point, we haven't even talked about physical skills. It's not about, self-protection is not about that. So if you looked at the percentage, so if you look at self-protection, there's self-defense, there's personal security. You look at the percentages you need, physical, 5%. 5% is all you need. Mm. Uh, you, you may say 10% because running is probably a good thing, you know, if you're able to run again, so maybe a bit more. Mm. But in terms of our side of it, the martial application, 5%, that's all you need. 95% is the awareness, evaluation, and avoidance skills. So you're trying to avoid everything that's going on which is back to when you walk in somewhere, you know, and all of a sudden you think, I'm not happy with this, dress, drunk, drug, demeanor. How is somebody dressed? So if you're dressed, so it's winter, I go in a bar, you're, you're loud, you're leery, you're clearly picking on people. I think, okay, this is gonna go wrong. So the first thing I wanna know is how you dressed. Because if I've come in with leather-soled dancing shoes and it's a wet, slippy floor, I'm not going to engage you on that. I'm going to find somewhere where if you come over, I'll be on carpet. If you've got a vest, a shirt, a jacket, and a leather jacket, you're basically wearing body armor. Mm. So I'm not going to hit you in the center of mass. If it's summer with a T-shirt, that's what I'll do. Mm. But if you are wearing all that, it's going to be a slap. So I'll pre-determine I'll pre what I'm going to use as a preemption. If that situation comes to pass. But more important than that, and this is the thing that people don't practice, I'll add another dimension onto it, is there's the personal security awareness skills so that you don't get in it or you're prepared for it. Those are the physical elements. The bit that people don't practice is dialogue. So if you think about most engagements where you have a violent encounter or potentially violent encounter, it has dialogue but we don't practice it. Mm. The other person's practicing it because they're trying to shut you down with the theater, the swearing, the gesticulation, all of that. But it's just theater. Mm. And all of a sudden you can see it shutting people down. And you think, oh, no, but they have, just haven't practiced any dialogue. You know? So what they're thinking is, I'm a good scrapper, but no, you're frozen in place. Person's dominating you. you know? mm -hmm. So um, when I used to practice preemption, so it was a slap or a punch, you need an action trigger for that. So you can't, it won't come out. You have to have an action trigger. You can't make a decision to preemptively strike. 
it won't happen. You'll do this, it's like a bungee jump mm -hmm. with one piece of thin elastic around one ankle and a thousand foot drop. You'll stand on the edge of that bridge going, I'll go when the big hand's on 12. <laughs> and then two hours later, you say, no, 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 I'll go when the big hand's on. And then you're doing this on the edge of the cliff and you ain't gonna go because you're trying to make a decision at a time of great stress. So your body, if you look at the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, the way we're wired, when we're under a stressful situation, our body shuts certain things down. It, it shuts digestion down, it brings blood to the center, to the core, but it, what it does, it shuts your brain down. Mm. We're not wired under stress to make decisions. You watch senior police officers in highly stressful situations who are running an operation they can't make a decision. They've got this information, that information, you know, you've got a villain in there with three kids and they've got the knife to the throat and he's having to decide whether he sends somebody in, whether they throw gas in, whether they go, firearms office going. And at the end of the day, it it's, it's just won't make a decision. You know, it's paralysis by analysis. So what you have to have is an action trigger, mm -hmm. something that makes you, that you've, you've got primary Pavlovian conditioning mm -hmm. to associate something with a strike. Mm -hmm. And that should be a word. Or it can be a word, mine was. So I used to have a word, I'd say, that conditioned me to hit because I'd practiced that thousands and thousands of times on a bag. Mm -hmm. So I'd have a conversation with a bag, say the word, mm -hmm. mine would be luck. So I'd, so I'd do it combined with luck. So I'd do this and that gesture when I say luck, they relax as well, because I've done this, so they, then it goes. So it's that same. But I've done that on the bag thousands of times. So I've got that Pavlovian association with uh, that word that gives me the, the strike. I'm not trying to make a decision. And again, as martial artists, we know too much. So we stand there in front of somebody and we think, uh, well, if he punches the face, I'll do this, or I'll do this. And then I've got 84 different variations of a strike, or I could sweep, and fuck it. You, this is the, the concept of the hourglass. Do we talk about that one, I think? Again, the hourglass, yeah, so you've got the egg timer. Mm. Yeah, so you've got the egg timer, this little thin neck, mm. uh, you turn it over, eight million pieces of sand, eight, grain, eight million grains of sand have to get through that neck. And they all don't go, fuck it, we'll all get through. Mm. One drops through, one drops through. When we're in that stressful situation, we've got, this is our, we're, we're the egg timer. We're the, we've got the eight million, we know too much. We've, we're trying to get, what should we do now? Should I block? Should I defend? Should I strike? Should I attack? What if I attack? What will the police say? What's the law on this? All of a sudden, you're thinking, what does the law say about this? You shouldn't be thinking about that when you're here. Because what's stopping you is this flashing sign that says consequences. So you've got to have, you, all that has to be out of the way. So you're absolutely confident in your right to do it, whether it's preemption, how much weight you can put in, how you impact, can you impact, what are the consequences gonna be, how you're gonna manage the consequences, uh, but none of that's to do with fitness. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, that was the answer to that question. Yeah, no, no, no. yeah so, yeah. And the trigger you mentioned in the, in the first part of the conversation, yeah. before the training, uh, could be the fence as well, if somebody yeah. steps into your personal zone without yeah. a trigger? Or? Yeah, oh, oh, absolutely. No, somebody who starts to make that move, who is coming within striking distance. Mm -hmm. So if you're able 
to hit me without moving the body towards me. Mm -hmm. If you have to move the body towards me, I'll see it. Mm -hmm. But if you're within that range and it's just hands, they move so quickly. Even we, we, when I do seminars, I'll pull somebody out and get them to, to block something. And once we're in touching distance, that speed of movement, you, if it's not telegraphed, you're hitting people before they can block it. They block it on the way out. It's too late, okay? So you cannot let anybody get within that, yeah. that striking distance where they can hit you without moving the body. Yeah. So at this distance, dead comfortable. If, you, if we were standing up and you came towards me, then I'll have an issue. But at this distance, you can't touch me without moving forward. And I'll see that and I can react to it. Mm -hmm. But nobody can get within that. You can't, so you, you know, it might be you use a really solid hand to get them to impact on the chest. Yeah. But that can trigger them. So doing that can trigger them into violence. And then you've lost the advantage of the distance. Because don't forget, it's a two-edged sword. Action beating reaction is a two-edged sword. I don't want it used against me, but I want it to my advantage. So I want somebody who I know is just within my striking range that I can get the preemption in without, them, without it triggering a defensive reaction. Okay, So that is a two-edged sword for that. Okay. More complexity to the whole thing, so I'm, I'm cramming huge. I'm cramming a two mile wide, two mile deep subject into oh, yeah. inches at the moment. Sure. But I'm trying to get some key principles across. Uh -huh. Yeah, which I'm sure people will have gross objection to. So good luck to them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one more. Yeah. To understand the subject as best as I can, uh, what triggers would you be looking for? Aside from yeah. someone stepping into your fence, yeah, there's a, there's um, the, uh, uh, warning signs and danger signs. Mm -hmm. So the police have always had that model, and it's been a good one. So uh, where you're looking at uh, trying to combine the law. So law and use of force, so, you know, and we have two laws in the UK. We've got common law and statutory law. Mm -hmm. So common law principles still apply. We've got statutory, uh, statutory law that determines use of force for mm -hmm. us, police officers, for anybody. Same with common law. So we've got that as a bit of a challenge. So when you look at the, there was a great police model and it was a Venn diagram, which I mentioned before, mm -hmm. which was um, reason. So you've got the officer, reasonable officer options, offender behavior and then impact factors mm. so and you push them all together so what you've got is what the offenders doing and that was in a step basis you know verbally resistant passively resistant actively resistant violently resistant so it went in steps and then you have the options that a police officer had to deal with those different states mm. and it was always one plus one so if the guy sits in a chair and a police officer wants to move in and said I need you to come with me he says no fuck off the police officer can't say oh go on come with me you've got to you know you need to come with me and say no fuck off mm -hmm. so we can't keep having that narrative right. so at some point he's going to get hold mm -hmm. okay so it's one plus one so and the same applies to us in a way but then you've got impact factors as well mm -hmm. um what What's the situation? Are you on your own? Have you got radio communication? Is this person a known violent? Is he known to carry a weapon? Has he just come out of jail? Whatever he says. So all that is, is an impact factor. Could be the weather, could be the lighting, could be anything, could be the floor you're on, could be the fact there's multiple opponents. But then you've got warning signs and danger signs, and those come from the individual. That might be the, the actual narrative, the way it's delivered, might be the colour in a person's face that's going quite red. It might 
might be that they're focusing on a, on a particular part. So there's a whole range of warning signs. Then they turn to danger signs. So the warning signs are a bit of a peg in the ground that says, yeah, I've noticed that. So a person's goes quite red in the face. But the moment that all of a sudden you look at him and he started to go white, now you know they're in a really high state of arousal because that's very similar to, to, to shock because the blood's being drawn to the core. So you can see the face change white, lips are curling back, even the lips have changed colour. You know that person is just about to kick off. So you've got a whole range of warning signs, danger signs, uh, surrounding impact factors, offender behavior, reasonable officer or our options. So reasonable officer. And, and when, you, when you put them all together, the bit where the overlap in the middle is, you've taken all that information and in the, the end of it, it is still only your view of that world, right? your perceived appropriate response. So where they all mix, I, I have to, I, after the event, I have to justify my actions, but I can use that model to say, this was the behavior, so then, these were my options, these were the impact factors, you know? Mm. I'm 70, he's 24, he's 18 stone, and I know he's violent. So I've got that. Um, I've got slippy shoes on. I've got a, a new. I've got a replacement hip. I'm going to have surgery on my knee. Jam. So all these things put together. Uh, so I whacked him. Yeah. Wouldn't maybe not in that colourful language. Right. So I'm justifying it with that same model. So the model I use to determine what I do, I use to evidence what I've done. But at the end of the day, it it is only my perception of that is my honestly held belief that was right. Mm. So where that Venn diagram, where they all overlap, that's my honest belief mm. about my appropriate behavior, taking all that into account. Mm. Which you can't at the time say, fuck, what was that Venn diagram? <laughs> so I'm over here. You've just got to have it in your mind all the time. You've got to think about, this is where I am, that's where they are, these are the impact factors, warning signs, danger signs, oh, I can see it, bang, that's it, okay. So it's not just standing in front of people, so you just stand there hitting people. No, fuck that. There's like a whole fucking raft of submerged information mm. that I've had to bring to play into that, mm. to, to be able to do that. And then I've got the physical side of it. Is my impact sufficient to put a, an elephant down? Can I do it without telegraphing it? Um, can I manage the aftermath of it? What is gonna be the aftermath of it? You know? All that. So there's a whole, it's, it's not as simple as people make out. Mm -hmm. But if you get the, that fundamental foundation stuff right, mm -hmm. then you're confident when you are in front of somebody. You've got the dialogue, you've got the technique, you've got the information, you've got the model that you can evidence it by. So, yeah. I've, I've been, I sat in a lawyer's office with a flip chart drawing that Venn diagram for a police officer Mm. to remind him what his confrontational model was when he was accused of excessive use of force. So even police officers don't get it right, mm. you know, more often than not, sadly. And that's the problem with this, isn't it? That, you know, you, you treat something superficially and it's perceived in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And it's not. You, you have a short answer right. to a massive subject issue, you know. So mm -hmm. trying to fly through a few of the key points of it and still missing a lot of key points, but trying to get to that. Yeah. Mm. This naturally leads to my next question, and that's uh, a tricky question that I get mm. from my viewers. And to be honest, I don't even... 90% of the time I don't even answer because it's, I think it's a very responsible uh, thing to answer. So the question is, 
where various people ask me where could they start uh, or what I would suggest to them yeah. to do for self-defense. Obviously, yeah. they're thinking about jiu-jitsu schools or MMA schools or looking for like Krav Maga or whatever yeah. is around. Sure. And oftentimes, there's not even a lot of choice. No. And it's such a tricky question yeah. for me. And so, again, I, I pretty much never respond because yeah. it's there's too much responsibility in that answer. Yeah. But you being the expert, if somebody asks you that question... I'm, I'm, I'm exactly the same predicament you're at. Mm -hmm. um, because any of those things you mentioned, you've got systems, Krav Maga's one, mm -hmm. that, that's a system for self-defense. Mm -hmm. um, one of the problems is not Krav Maga per se, but you've got Krav Maga that's realized that commercially it needs to keep students. Mm -hmm. So if you look at a karate syllabus mm -hmm. that has gradings and people over four years get a black belt, okay. maybe that keeps them training. Mm -hmm. Krav Maga delivers a course on self-defense. Students go, you've got to get... So Krav Maga instructors go, not just them, but anybody who's teaching self-defense, mm -hmm. fuck it, I need a grading syllabus. Mm -hmm. um, what do I need in a grade? Oh, I'll put some kicking in, I'll put this in. You've reinvented a martial art mm -hmm. from that core. What we're going to teach somebody, you know, so if you said over six weeks, what can we teach somebody that will be effective? Mm -hmm. What they don't want to learn is martial arts. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Right. I'm in the same predicament you are. People come saying, what martial arts should I do for self-defense? Should I do karate or jiu-jitsu? And you go, oh, fuck it, no. <laughs> the elements of any one of those would be good. But how do they pick out those elements? Mm. Because they're going to just get themselves in a long-term, complex, detailed, depth martial art, you know. So, yeah, so something like Krav Maga, something that's got uh, add water and stand back. But the key thing is that they understand personal security. Mm. And that's what you don't get in most systems, mm. that in-depth um, you know, dealing with how you avoid it. How do you stay aware? How do you simply stay aware? Because saying it won't make it happen. Mm -hmm. So we could say, now we'll walk out of here and we'll be aware. So we will for about 20 seconds mm -hmm. till the thought about what time is the train? Um, I haven't got a sandwich. I need to go and buy a sandwich. What was I doing tonight? So all of a sudden, subconsciously, you've got a film mm -hmm. and it's rolling out and there's, there's a screen in your mind and your subconscious things rolling. Mm -hmm. Where's awareness? Mm -hmm. It's back here somewhere. Okay. So I've got a system to, to train for per, permanent awareness. Mm -hmm. Won't go into it now, but mm -hmm. so, so that has to be something. Mm -hmm. You know, if we can't teach people how to be aware, and back to the same thing, so when they're out in the street, aware of the environment, aware of people in the environment, and aware of themselves, are they actually aware? Mm -hmm. Are you self-aware? You know, all of a sudden, you, you, it's like um, people who drive to work in the morning. So they, they get in the car, they've got 20 minutes to go to work mm. and they haven't the foggiest idea how they got there. Right. They've not thought about how they changed gear, how they steered, how they moved off. It's purely habitual. They're working on overdrive. So they can think about absolutely everything. They can have a cigarette, get on the phone, listen to the radio, have a conversation and do everything else in the car because that's pure habit and we live habitual lives so we we can we can get from here to Leeds to London and not really think about the whole thing if it was something we did all the time we're not aware so we're totally unaware of our surroundings we're not picking up cues and clues as to things that might be a threat to us so that habit 
is it takes away awareness. We're living in a sort of overdrive world in a way, really. Also, if we live in major cities, the noise, the crowds, the, the, the maybe the, the, the shouting, the aggression, we've got filters, we, we cut it out. So if you bring somebody from like the outer Hebrides who lives with his wife, children, his nearest neighbors eight miles away, and the only conversation he has is with sheep, you bring them to the center of Manchester on a Saturday afternoon, they're exhausted in 15 minutes because they, they can't stop this information coming in. What we've done, because we live in that modern society, we've got filters, we've got barriers. We need to lift them and be able to take the information of what's happening around us, but then evaluate it. So first of all, the awareness, the volume of information, but what are we doing with it? I don't want all of it. I want to be alert to the cues and clues that might be a threat to me, whether I'm driving or whether I'm walking, whether I'm in a hotel, whether I'm at home, what, wherever it is, that principle has to apply. Mm. So I'm aware, I can evaluate, and then I can make a decision, fuck, I can't get out of this, I'm gonna to have to deal with it, or I'll walk in that shop, or cross the road, I'll do whatever to avoid it, okay? Mm. So that's what people should be taught. Yeah. And then if that doesn't work, something simple yeah. that will either uh, break Breakaways, maybe striking a breakaway, whatever the situation is. But then, of course, the scenarios have to be right because there's not one scenario for self defense. You might be sitting down in a cafe, you could be in your car, you could be walking down the street, you could be in a shop, anywhere, you could be halfway upstairs, going up, going down on an escalator. So, how are you going to apply this? You know, the problem is, you know, you watch people do self defense, it's on a fucking mat. Well lit, open, not down a back alley or in a park with mm. bad footing, mm. tight clothing, poor lighting, multiple opponents. How are you going to deal with that? Mm. And I'm in the same predicament you are. Mm. But people come and say, you know, I've looked at Judon Karate. What do you want? For, what do you think of self-defense? Like, oh, fuck, no, <laughs> no, you know. Would you uh, point out to literature as one of the options? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. For personal security, mm -hmm. literature, absolutely. Get that get the understanding mm. of, a, of how you create awareness, mm. you know. Um, and there's some good stuff out there that, you, you know, people can look at for that. Mm. You know, there's all, all sorts of good material about from good people who, who are up there, you know, that you should be able to identify who they are. Um, so you're getting that flavor Mm -hmm. of the self-defense and personal combat is not about fighting skills or martial arts. Martial arts has good things to take out. Because at the end of the day, of course, it's physical, it's striking, mm -hmm. you know, it might be some blocking, might be sweeping, might be some low kick, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, so to have good elements of that, to have good technique, good attributes for that is important. But it's not the key thing, mm -hmm. you know. That means if you're doing that, something's gone wrong in the awareness and the avoidance side of it. So you can get that from literature, reinforced by maybe good instructors who then understand that proxemics of where violence takes place, you know. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> which, uh, which of your books would you say Yeah. It's the right one to go uh, as with first. Streetwise. Streetwise. Yeah, Streetwise was um, 
Yeah, streetwise, it's in two halves. The first half is all about personal security, yeah. and the second half is about the defensive tactics. Mm -hmm. So I've separated it. So, you know, the first, the, so the second half gives you an idea about what you should be learning and what you shouldn't be learning. Mm -hmm. And the first half is all about that protection pyramid, um, Cooper's color codes, where that fits in with the protection pyramid, all other elements. And then the do's and don'ts of the street. You know, being in the street, public transport, whilst you're in a vehicle, whilst you're at home, and then travel save takes it to that international side of it. So, you know, how are you going to apply all those principles now in airports, in foreign countries, you know, what to look for in different countries, living, you know, being in a hotel, how you're managing personal security in that. So travel safe is the extension of that, but streetwise is the basis of it. Um, so a lot of those personal security skills come out of the security world, like the close protection world. So um, the modern bodyguard, if you look at that, you'll see the same things in it. Mm -hmm. So how we deal with uh, creating awareness, almost it's anti-surveillance, you know, so it's surveillance awareness, not counter-surveillance, which are active tactical things, but um, it's surveillance, it's awareness, you know. So we're being our own sort of surveillance, mm. you know, uh, operatives in a way. Mm. So there's elements of that, but streetwise is, is the book. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I have two more questions, but the last yeah. one, this uh, area, to make sure it's fully rounded. Yeah. Uh, so if a person uh, is purely interested in self-defense yeah. uh, and self-protection, uh, let's say he reads Streetwise yeah. seeks out someone who understands the yeah. material and is able to embody it yeah. uh, and spends, let's say, a weekend or a yeah. week with that person. Yeah. Would you say that's preferable to a person going to some martial art and dedicating a few years yeah because mm. you won't you simply will not be able to identify within that martial arts mm. what you need because it's teaching you a fighting system mm. and it's teaching you a complex eastern martial arts system mm. we're back to that again chess and thugs right. you know the thug in the street you know the scum in the street that you're going to face hasn't got any of that you know and yet you've come away from your tuesday night karate session with these three techniques you think car the instructor said that'll work He's never been there. He's never faced it. You know, he believes it will work because somebody's told him it'll work. Yeah. Because somebody told him it'll work. I know full well it won't fucking work. Yeah. And it certainly won't work for that person who hasn't got, who doesn't understand uh, physiological responses, does, doesn't understand the deep management of fear, management of stress, massive heart rate, all those physiological changes we get through the endocrine system, you know, from adrenaline, from dopamine, you know all that you know they haven't experienced that and until you experience that try doing what you just learned in the context of all that shit going on you won't do it so it's experiential so scenario training so what what do you say to people well should i go and work on a door no, hang on, you're a brain surgeon. You can't learn self-defense by going working on the door. What you have to do is be in scenarios where we create those stressful context-based situations. So, um, you know, so you, you are learning to apply certain techniques in that as real a situation as you can get. Um, somebody who I used to teach for at National Police Training, a chap called Les Pybus, he's an expert witness, he's out of the police now. And uh, when he was at National Police Training, he got them to invest in a pretty much like a special forces killing house. Mm. So in the gymnasium, it, it, it flattened against the wall, but then you can pull it out and it was a complete house. 
Mm. So it was a house, it had multiple doors, different, you could alter the rooms, and over and above it, it had a sound and lighting system that could duplicate a helicopter. Mm -hmm. So you got the noise, the light, the confusion, and it, the scenarios you could create with that were phenomenal. Yeah, we were absolutely first class. I think they took it out because it was too complex. Who could run it? You know. Mm -hmm. So all they did was say, well, well, we'll give you 20 opportunities to strike with a baton. We'll give you taste. All that shit going on. So, yeah, that's a different subject. I'll get started on that. Yeah. Um, so, so scenarios. Yeah. So what you were trying to create is uh, two things, what we call context dependent and state dependent. So when we're training, context dependent. Context is the difference between a well-lit, uh, nicely matted dojo. So what we, the, the saying always used to be in the dojo, that context, uh, excitement up, fear down. But the context of being in a dark alley with broken glass, stones and three thugs mm. coming at you with knives between the teeth, mm. then that's fear up, mm. <laughs> forget the fucking excitement, you know, so that context. But then state dependence is what are we creating state-wise to duplicate stress, fear, anxiety, adrenal responses? So again, it's no good just doing self-defense techniques here without creating that state that you will find yourself in. So context dependent how are we doing it and state dependent what are we creating within that scenario so we could create a scenario out there that said uh, you're in a bar somebody comes up and says you you fucker I'm gonna and you go oh right okay I'll enjoy this no it's not if it's, <laughs> context is wrong we're on a mat lighting's wrong and two we've not created that real state mm -hmm. and there are some really good people who 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 understand this and do it you know mm -hmm. um, but it's a huge problem f to overcome for the average person to be able to, to somehow plug into all this, you know. And that's why at the end of the day, I prefer people who do no physical skills, but get all the awareness and personal security sorted out. So they switched on to not being there. I told that, to tell you the tale last time, I went to do some personal security training in uh, Amsterdam. Did I mention that? No. So I'd got this, um, got this job. I had to go for two days to Amsterdam. There was a group of 20 um, male mm. people working on a contract. They were Americans uh, working on a contract. And in three months, 11 had got themselves mugged. So, so that was 11, nearly, in three months, had got themselves mugged. Okay. So off we go. I went with a colleague of mine um, who was ex-ENSIS, National Criminal Intelligence, and he'd been um, an instructor in, in this particular police organisation. And we went to the um, Amsterdam police, to the intelligence people there, and he'd actually trained the guy that we were with. That was his contact. This guy, who was not physically prepossessing, mm. so medium height, um, he'd worked undercover for 20 years in Amsterdam and in this area as well. He'd never been mugged once. Mm. So, and he'd been dressed up, jewellery, he'd been dressed down, everything. He'd never been mugged once. Mm. So hold that thought. Mm -hmm. So then we went to, to interview the guys. So then we went to talk to them. Understand it. On one occasion, three of them had got mugged by two guys. Three of them. Who, who came up and, th and said, I've got a knife, give us your thing. In the pocket, never even showed the knife. They go, whoa, whoa, he's got a knife, give him the, give him the wallets, which is fine. Mm -hmm. 
one of them, this guy, was your height. Mm-hmm. It was this big. It was, it was massive. And I said, well, didn't you do anything? He said, no, no, no. He said, we just, we said afterwards, we just didn't know what to do. So I said, well, that's understand. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So I went out with this one guy and I said, take me where you go. And the principal, what was happening was they were, they were working a bit late on this contract. Mm-hmm. They'd go for one beer. They weren't big drinkers at all, by any stretch. They said one beer and then they'd toddle off to their accommodation, the hotel where they were staying at. So they first of all started out on well-lit thoroughfares with lots of people. Then they'd go down another street where less well-lit, less people then they were into an area where and and then it was um it was a social issue because these they were getting mugged by the same type of people so they were in this particular geography their awareness did not change between that street to the point where they got mugged and when i went out with this guy we went out and i said take me where you're going we got out the office put hands in his pockets and looked down so I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm going to show you where I said, I said, what are you looking at? He said, well, I'm just thinking about what, what I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. So I fucking got that. So then it dawned, the penny dropped, because when you look at, um, there's a, the thing, Robert Niedefer, Niedefer's attentional styles. This is another concept. So Niedefer was looking at how sports people who physically didn't seem appropriate for a sport were able to do it. And he came up with attentional styles, internal concentration, the width of concentration, and the, and the if you like, the depth of concentration. And, the, and he was saying, um, these attentional styles are equally as important as a physical ability to do something. And in fact, in some cases, more so. Um, and what was clear to me, the, this, these people had an internal focus of attention. <clears throat> and, the, and when you link that with what they were doing, they were computer programmers. They were, on, they were working for a bank in Amsterdam on a project for three months doing computer programming. Yeah. And, and when they were working, well, they were a computer programmer, mm-hmm. and that was a hand grenade. If that hand grenade had gone off, did they still have done that? Nothing broke that concept. They had an internal focus of attention. Mm-hmm. And when they went outside, they still did. Mm-hmm. So their personal radar was went out to about two feet. It stopped them falling off a curb <laughs> from a pavement. It stopped them getting knocked over, but it didn't stop them. So it was like having radar on a boat that when you hit the rocks went beep. That was what was happening. Not beep, you two miles away from some rocks change course. So then the job, of course, was to paint this picture to them that they have to expand. So if you look at Niedefer's attentional styles and focus of attention, so if you look at, say, somebody who's good at uh, football or rugby or American football, they have a broad external focus of attention. They're able to take a lot of information that moves quite quickly. I can't. I cannot play fucking football. If I get a ball, I haven't the foggiest idea where everybody else is. I have a narrow external focus of attention, which means I'm good one-on-one. So if you think of fencers, of the boxers, of fighters, um, so what I'm conscious of when I'm under pressure, that is exaggerated. What Niedefer said, under stress and pressure, that attentional style would be exaggerated. So that's why when it all kicks off, I've got tunnel vision. Final two questions. Yeah. Hopefully this will be enough for So these are actually outside of uh, the subjects we touched today. Yeah. Outside of the, in the training. 
my personal explorations in terms of understanding the martial arts world or sure. the whole world of yeah. all fields. Uh, and uh, so, <laughs> I spoke so much, I blanked out. Uh, okay. I know the second one, let me come back to the first one. Yeah. Footage. <laughs> no, it's okay. all right. The, the first one. Um, okay, so outside of what we spoke, yeah. uh, but also connected. Uh, let's say the phrase true martial artist. Yeah. It's a tricky one. I used the, the term a couple of times in some of the video essays. Yeah. And it brought a lot of discussion. Yeah. So what it, that is. And I'm curious to know, what is your opinion when you hear the term true martial artist yeah yeah it's somebody who you know has it in a sense immersed themselves mm -hmm. in a martial art mm -hmm. so so again context for me are we talking about somebody who you know is what we call i, I term it a social martial artist mm -hmm. it's a pastime and a sport mm -hmm. you know it's not his life mm -hmm. uh, so he's doing a tuesday a thursday as a club mm -hmm. maybe he's doing a competition every so often in the club he's really keen on it but it's not dominating his life but he's really keen on it mm -hmm. but that's a true martial artist mm -hmm. he's applying himself or herself mm -hmm. working hard thinking about it trying to improve mm. enjoying it that's a martial artist mm. it's somebody who's involved in it mm. and then you've got a professional martial artist mm. whose business it is mm. might be just teaching might be competition you might get people say like louis who's um it's it's not his business you know piece of student louis who's um but m this is his life as well as the work life. So this is his life. He is committed far more than that two nights a week social martial arts. It's nearly every day. I mean, he'll be doing shoulders with us, weights in the morning, you know, and then Sunday he'll be training again with us. Then he'll be down here with Peter, you know, on the, the normal weeks events that are happening in the club. He'll be teaching as well. Um, so he's a true martial artist, but no more so than the person who is able just to do two nights a week. You know, you can't, and nor can you qualify it with quality so that person who's doing two nights a week he or she might have reached a certain level and and the, the really it's not by comparison that good but they're still true martial artists it's not qualified by how good you are it's how much you're doing within your capacity time-wise physically mentally to do it you know but you can't make a judgment on that it's a bit like making a judgment on a person who's earning two million pound a year as a martial arts instructor well you know it's not a proper martial arts instructor. no fuck it what does that have to do with it it could be the best martial arts practitioner and instructor going the fact it's earning two million quid doesn't devalue the quality of the delivery. I know people who are making fortunes at it, and it's a fantastic delivery. Superb martial artists. I know other people who are making money who, quite honestly, I'm surprised they can ever open the door and walk into a dojo without falling over, you know. Does that make them less of a true martial artist? They're still trying to do it, you know. Um, hard work for me. Um, you know, I always say it, you know, I have no physical I have no natural physical ability I didn't when I was at school I avoided it like the plague I fell into karate when I was 15 and it got me so from and they had me teaching at 16 so I started at fear I was teaching it so I was earning money so that was one of the the hooks that kept me going but then competitively I ended up 
on the England team, the Great Britain squad. So all of a sudden I'm in that, I'm teaching, I've got clubs. And, it's, and that's run parallel to whatever else my life has been, work-wise. Um, but I've never had natural physical ability. Mm. I've had to work at what I do and think a lot about what I do. And I feel those are attributes that almost are better than a natural ability that you don't appreciate you know, the work that you have to do to get good. So we've got a lot of people, I'll look at them and I think, they're just absolutely brilliant. But when they started, you know, you look at him, pull his trousers on, you thought, fuck, this is gonna be a hard road. But now you look at them, you think, and it's hard work and thought, you know. But a true martial artist, you know, there's no definition of it. Two nights a week, fairly good, bit at weekend, but loving it and keeps at it and works hard, tries hard, thinks hard. That's a martial artist. Yeah. Mm. I don't know whether that was the answer you oh, wanted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe just to quickly expand it, uh, I would also ask, but you mentioned hard working, mm. and that was kind of the direction I was also interested yeah. in. If you would associate a certain value system or certain values with being a martial artist, yeah. because some, some people could yeah. kind of separate it and say, yeah. Martial arts is all about skill and yeah. physical capacity. Yeah. But I believe it's more. And yeah, mine's mine's always mine's always been more. Mm -hmm. um, so all the guys here, most of them, at some time, you know, we've we've been hill sprinting, mm -hmm. hill carriers. We're doing the weights tomorrow. We've got a shoulder workout tomorrow with battle ropes and dumbbells that would, you know, we get. Big strong people coming down mm. who 10 minutes and they're fucked, you know, because this is endurance, capacity, um, distress. So my whole martial arts career has been built on an, a foundation of additional supplementary mm. physical training, whether it's weights, whether it's CV, whatever it is. Um, and most of it's been... Um, not so much the long-term endurance stuff, but I've done that. I've run mountain marathons over the years, done lots of hill work, uh, but we base it on that anaerobic, so not aerobic, but anaerobic distress drills, which of course you saw here in a way, so we apply that, but most of our work outside is based on anaerobic work, so we're feeling distressed. Mm. Um, so the analogy I always used to use was, you know, on a hill sprint. So that they've got a hill, it's maybe, say, 120 metres. It's a hill sprint up that. You get within five steps of the top and stop because you think, fucking oh, hell, that was hard work. Mm. But it's not the 95 steps that you've taken. It's the last five that are important because mm. that's the bit about not giving up. Mm. And that's the spin-off for me of heavy anaerobic supplementary training. It's learning not to give up. It's not the first three quarters a minute or first 20 seconds it's that last five seconds where you want to fall over that you do not stop and you create that for then self-defense you create it for fighting you create it for confrontation it's not the first bit it's that last bit that's conditioning so two things it's giving you the physical capacity to do good work on top um, and it's giving you the mental thing never to stop you finish it you do not stop like that 20 you know up to 20 back down with the thing you know at some point you think I just want this to end what we should be doing is hitting it's always as I said to Steve when he's getting right start to put some bang in so when he's on to 10 I want to feel more when he's on to 8 
I want to feel more. Mm. So he's finishing stronger than he started. Mm. Okay, so that mentality to it. Um, and that and that's key. So I've always had that. Um, you know, hard martial arts is a hiding place. It's people do martial arts. They say, oh, I do martial arts. They've never had a fight. Uh, I do martial arts. And they can't walk upstairs without getting out of breath. So it's a hiding place. You know, they go down to a club. Two nights a week could be that guy. Uh, hopefully he's not deceiving himself. Um, but he's doing some martial arts and they think God can handle anything. No, I couldn't fucking run half a mile. Couldn't hill sprint couldn't mm. do this couldn't do that so you know don't make it a hiding place right. you know martial arts is here that huge foundation of work underneath it that you have to do so you think of any sport these days at one time a sport used to contain within it the training mm. so you did a sport and that sport was the training for the sport not anymore. You look at every sport. You look at football, rugby, you look at American pro football. Look at the supplementary training that goes on. Is far more than the actual technique training of the sport. Is that foundation of supplementary training, scientific training that goes on with it. It's weights, you know, the cardiovascular resistance, anaerobic work, whatever it is that complements that that particular sport. So you're ready for it, you know. And that, I think, martial arts, as it's taught with that Eastern martial arts, doesn't have that, mm -hmm. you know. It, the, the sport should contain all that, and sometimes it doesn't the way it's taught. It's superficially taught, you know. Mm -hmm. um, whereas what we did today in itself is sufficient. But I still know to get Thursday, I've got to be doing all the other work. Mm. I have to have my foundation of other, which I've got. I'm training elsewhere, not just here. So my supplementary training happens elsewhere for my Thursday and Sunday mornings. So I can complete Thursday and Sunday morning, you know, because it isn't sufficient in itself. You know, it's the, it's the tip of the iceberg, really. The work's the bit underneath the water. That's the key thing, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thinking about the time I have. Yeah, sure. But I'll, I'll yeah, yeah. So, uh, I like a lot what you're saying, and I feel like that that pushing of yourself, that kind of going out of your comfort zone. Uh, every time, is, yeah. Is such a healthy experience. Yeah, for every human being. Yeah, it is, and it's and it's honesty. So, the, the, you know, all the time I'm trying to catch myself whether I'm being self-deceptive. Mm. For me, training is you've got a car that's stalled on a hill mm. and you're just able to keep pushing it but the exertion's horrible mm. but the moment you stop mm. it's going to run over you so all the time with training you're pushing that envelope mm. you're making it uncomfortable you, you know sometimes i go in the gym and depending what uh, yesterday I'd, I'd got limited time so i was doing back and biceps mm. and i hadn't got time for anything else so it was back and biceps but it was to to a certain level of volume mm. um but the next time i go in i know i'm going to have an anaerobic session on some piece of cv equipment whether it's hill sprinting on the machine whether it's the watt bike whatever it is so i'll have i'll add that to it but what i know is i know when i'm I'm stopping pushing that car. Mm. I know when I'm saying, well, I'm working hard. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm sliding back down the hill. So constantly you're trying to push that car up the hill and don't deceive yourself that you pay, you're paying lip service to distressing hard training. You know, mm. you, 
it, it's, it's the mental edge it gives you. So if I get in a situation on a Saturday with somebody and it's a potentially violent encounter, I know what they haven't been doing in the week. Mm -hmm. And I know what I've fucking done in the week. Mm -hmm. And that person isn't going to get away with what they've not done, you know. That's why I do it. So I know if it kicks off, there's not a chink in my armor in terms of how I should be. And mentally I'm switched on as well to it because I know I've gone that, you know, and I found myself um, when I've got my little hill sprinting course that I go on, I've got a line in the little concrete uh, path I'm on. So that's where I go to. But but what I know is the hill hasn't quite finished. There's a there's a bush on the left hand side, which is where I should go to. But now I've got this line as a fixation. So I can feel myself heading for that, not heading for the bush. And every time I'm I'm you know, and all I want to do is fall over, but I've, I'm trying to get to that fucking bush and but because I set the line for myself, you know. Um and hill sprints are great. They're one of the best things to be doing. Variety of different different variations. We've got all sorts of concepts for doing hill sprinting, but it is one of the best to get switched on. It's probably one of the hardest.